Well, we come this evening to consider one of those attributes of God, which has a tendency to expose a lot of our own sinfulness, our own ungodliness, uh, I, that, that in us which is very much not like God, and that is the attribute of God's patience or long-suffering or forbearance or endurance. You might see all of these types of words or phrases used in Scripture. So let's open with prayer and then we'll, we'll begin to consider the patience of God. Father, we need to know You. We need to have a clear sight of You. And so, Lord, we ask that You would give it. You know our frame. You know that we are dust. You know the temptations and the, the ailments of our flesh. We're asking that You would overcome these and help us to see a little more of Your glory and that we might say that we truly heard of the testimony of God. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. To borrow the, the language of the prophet Isaiah, we are an impatient people, and we dwell amongst a people of impatience. And as I said this morning, just because the problem is universal, that does not absolve us of the crime. It, it, it emphasizes it all the more. We understand or we ought to understand that a, a, a problem like impatience is not just the manifestation of a little action here or there, a thought process here or there. It's our nature. It's ingrained in us to be impatient while God Himself is patient. Very often, we take advantage of the dotted line in the middle of the road because we're impatient. It's not because somebody's not going the speed limit. We're impatient. We don't want to wait. Now, you do the math. I've, I've tested this in several occasions. You have to drive really, really fast for a really long way to gain very much time in your travel. What you might gain by passing a car and driving five or seven miles over the speed limit the rest of your drive it's not really worth it. You might gain 30 seconds. You might gain a minute, but it's not much. But why do we do that? It's because we're impatient. We just don't want to wait. They're, they're just not going as fast as I want them to go. Now, if somebody flies up on our bumper, what are we? We are impatient. Just go around. We, don't, we, we, we can't endure that in ourselves because we're impatient. Very often, we use the left lane on the interstate because we are impatient. We have and use self-checkout lines at the grocery store because we are impatient. We have or use microwaves and pressure cookers and crock pots very often because we're just impatient. We have the option to watch YouTube videos or listen to sermons online at 2x because we're impatient. Now, I, I do that. I use that function, but very often it's just because we're impatient. I want to get to the point. Give me, give me the, the, the thing, the knowledge. We get upset in the drive-thru line if it takes longer than we expect. The drive-thru line where we sit in our car 
All we have to do is verbalize our desire and then hand the money out the window and somebody literally hands the food that we have asked for in a bag into our car. We get upset if it takes longer than we think it should because we're impatient. We roll our eyes nowadays. We roll our eyes when we see signs in restaurants and stores that say something like, we apologize, yada, yada, yada. We're short-staffed. We roll our eyes. Oh, great. This is going to take forever because we're impatient. We will pay extra for faster shipping because we're impatient. You mean this is going to take five days to get across the country? Yeah, just pay extra. I need it tomorrow because we're impatient. We'll set the clock on our coffee makers very often because we're impatient. We, we lash out at our spouses, our husbands and our wives because we are impatient. We snap at our children because we are impatient. And, and even if we might not externally, even if our impatience doesn't come out of us in some, some way, very often we'll find ourselves in these situations telling ourselves inside, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. And that might be good. That might be an effect or an evidence of sanctification. But it also is an evidence that we are not really all that patient yet. We have to tell ourselves constantly, be patient, be patient. It's okay. Be patient. We could go on and on. The fact of the matter is we are not patient. And this is another area where we find that our God is so unlike us. And because He is unlike us, we are saved. It's not just, well, he's patient and that works out well for us in some situations. No, because he is patient, we are saved and even forgiven and, and, and washed of our impatience. Now, in this, this chapter, it's fairly brief. There are only six main passages of Scripture, and so we'll turn to each of them and, and, uh, and consider God's patience. But I'll, I'll read the opening paragraph here. He says... The words patience and long-suffering refer to God's willingness to bear with or suffer long with the weakness and wrongdoing of His creatures. In God's patience is found a great manifestation of His love, especially in light of the sinfulness of mankind. God deserves all glory, honor, and praise. The fact that He bears with men who render unto Him the very opposite of what He deserves is a great demonstration of His enduring and patient love. Now we are again confronted with this assertion, and I don't have a problem with it really, that this, this attribute of God is a, a subset or a manifestation of the love of God and a, a manifestation dealing particularly, particularly with a creaturely corruption. Something, something in us we could say evokes or reveals this attribute of God. We saw two weeks ago that the mercy of God is seen as we view the creature as pitiable, as low, as miserable, as poor. Last week we saw the grace of God is seen as we view the creature as worthless and deserving of death. God loves us in spite of what we deserve. That's His grace. Here we see that patience or long-suffering or forbearance in God is another manifestation of his, of his love. But here, it seems like the primary view of the creature simply has to do with, yes, sinfulness, but sinfulness in relation to time. Notice that he said, it is God's willingness to bear with or suffer 
long. Well, that's it. That's that it is assuming time, a time frame, a sequence of moments. But God is not subject to the limitations of time. Creatures are. This is God dealing with us as we find ourselves creatures within the limits of time. And time passes and God loves in spite of that, in spite of our corruption. We might say in the case of the elect that God's patience or long-suffering is God's willingness to love over time. In the case of the reprobate, we might say that God's patience is His willingness to withhold the execution of justice over the course of time. He doesn't just immediately meet with His swift justice every act of sin or every, every manifestation of the human nature that has sin ingrained in it. And even in the case of those who are the elect, who maybe will be saved or who are saved, God still restrains or holds back justice and punishment that is due to us because of our sin through the passing days, months, and years of our lives until that time that He brings us to Himself. And even after He brings us to Himself, He still has to bear with us. He still has to be patient because we're not perfected. And so in a sense we could say both for the elect and the reprobate, God's patience is God holding back the torrent of His own justice against sin or the manifestation of His justice against sin. A.W. Pink says that it's the power of control which God exercises over Himself, causing Him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long in punishing them. And Octavius Winslow simply defines patience or describes patience as, quote, the power of God over Himself. The power of God over God. God restraining Himself. And both of these men and others refer to Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, which says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Slow to anger. That's what we would call patience, endurance, long-suffering. And great in power. And there's, there's assumed that these things are put together. There's a, a relationship here, a connection between these two statements about God. God is slow to anger. We say, well, why is He angry? Well, the answer is because of our sin. He's angry at our sin. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is an affront to the position of God as king. It is an affront to God's authority. Every time you sin, you are despising God as God. You're saying, I don't like that you are God. That's what sin is. And sin grieves God and it offends God. God hates sin with perfect and eternal hatred. He's angry with the wicked every day and yet the Bible doesn't say he's quick to anger. It says he's slow to anger. How can that be? Now for us, we would typically think, well, a man who doesn't just jump at every opportunity to execute his vengeance on somebody else, well, he must be weak. He's, he's pathetic. He's, he's, he, he's lenient. He's too soft. He shouldn't have let that one slip. Is God weak? Is God lenient? Is God soft? No. God is almighty. The fact that we cannot do what we're describing God as doing is because we are weak. We are corrupt. He is almighty. 
And he has the power to restrain his own anger and withhold his own justice. His justice is not, a, is, is not, um, it's not as though he, he will not execute justice. It's not as though his anger is abated. But he has power even over his own anger and the execution of his justice. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. God's power is so great that he can actually be slow to anger. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be slow to anger? Romans 9.22 says, What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In other words, enduring vessels of wrath with patience, they're going to destruction, He knows they're going to destruction, but he endures them anyway with patience. That is a display of his power. His almighty power is at at work. God lets time pass by. Imagine this. He lets time pass by as vessels of his wrath live and breathe and enjoy their lives many times. Enjoy blessings like marriage and children and trees and, and ice cream And he just lets time go. He does not empty out his eternal wrath in an instant. He lets time pass. That's power. That's not leniency. It's not weakness. It's power. This is God's almighty power at work. It's his patience. Stephen Charnock says, It is no wonder that he who is above all is able to crush all, but it is a wonder that he that is provoked by all, does not upon the first provocation rid his hands of all. That's an amazing thing. That God could destroy everything? We'd say, of course, he's God. That God can withhold from destroying everything and everyone? That's astonishing. That's amazing. That's his patience. And it should amaze us even as we think about the passing of time. If you just sat and thought about what it means, every tick of the clock of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year since time began, multiplied by the innumerable sins of the untold billions of people who have walked this planet, all of that amasses, we we could almost say, an infinite number of, of occasions for God to unleash His justice in wrath, but rather there are occasions of Him restraining His wrath, waiting. Each of those successive moments, he's holding back that wave of his fury. That's God's patience. Turn to Exodus chapter 34 with me. Exodus 34, and we'll see in this passage that is so central to the description of God that He gives us in His Word, we find His patience. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now what do we see here? He says his name is the Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger. That's patience. He's slow to anger. And if you think about it, how would we have ever been able to see His mercy and His grace and His steadfast love and His faithfulness if not for His patience? All of these would have been lost to us and we would lost to God if it not were His patience. If He were not slow to anger, there would be no place for these other perfections. Octavius Winslow says the patience of God seems like a central link in this golden chain of attributes. Mercy would have no room to act if patience did not prepare a way. God's patience. The note there says this declaration is found in many other scriptures. The frequency with which this description of God occurs in, in the scriptures demonstrates both its importance and truthfulness. God really is patient. The word anger comes from the Hebrew word af, which literally means nose or nostril. The flaring of the nostrils symbolizes anger or wrath. That, that phrase, slow to anger, would literally be translated long in the nostril or long in the nose. But this is what it means. He's slow to anger. The scriptures teach that God is a consuming fire and that His wrath can quickly ignite. However, the quick kindling of His anger comes only after His great patience has run its course. These promises serve as a reminder that although God is slow to anger, we must not presume upon His patience or put the Lord our God to the test. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. The next scripture, a New Testament passage. First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. God's patience waited. It's always interesting when an attribute of God is, is given personified character traits. Patience, waiting, well yeah, because the patience of God is God restraining His justice. The note there says the word patience comes from the Greek word makrothumia and denotes long-suffering or endurance. The phrase kept waiting, that's N-A-S, or, or the patience of God waited, properly translates the imperfect Greek, Greek verb. If we, if we hear simply waited, we might think, well, I, I waited for my number to be called and then I went and picked up my order. But that's not the, 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 the verb here as he says, is an imperfect verb. It's not just I waited for a little bit and stopped, but waited and waited and waited. God waited and waited for the people to repent. In fact, during the entire 120 years that Noah built the ark, God endured with great patience man's wickedness and gave him ample opportunity to repent. 
Think about that statement. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Now we know prior to the construction of the ark, in Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, that didn't... When you read that, it's not like on Tuesday... Everything was going well. And God woke up Wednesday and boom, all of a sudden, He said, you know what? They got to go. No, this, it, mankind had, had, had spread and had built up to or amounted to this, this state of wickedness that God said, now action has to be taken. It didn't happen in a day. It took time to get to this point where God is willing to pour out His wrath in the flood. And then once construction began, so that's prior to construction, then construction begins. Then there's a, another 120 years. 120 years ago, the Wright brothers were out at the beach trying to make an airplane. 120 years God waits. What kind of God does the Bible reveal to us? God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared. The justice of God was inflamed, no doubt. The justice of God is crying out for the destruction of the world. They must pay, and they will. And there were sinners. We don't know how many, but he says the earth. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. It was spread fairly broadly. People all over the world who were not those eight people that God knew he was going to save. All of those other people, they wake up day after day heaping up their sins for 120 years. Their time was coming. God knew that their time was coming. And yet, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. God, God could have said, ark, and there it was. God could have lifted up eight people and just held them in the sky while the earth was flooded and then set them back down on the, on the earth. But God's patience waited while the ark was prepared. Every tree that was cut down, every stroke of the saw blade, every blow of the hammer, every nail sunk into the wood, and every swipe of pitch across the, the hull of that massive ship, all of these were sounds of God's patience. For 120 years. Winslow again. He says, The framework of the ark cast a benign and restraining shadow upon the godly, ungodly race. And so long as the vessel was building, the wicked antediluvians, that is the people who lived before the flood, the wicked antediluvians dwelt peacefully and securely beneath its shade while the ark was being built. God's Patience, waiting and waiting. And we know that Noah was a preacher. Noah's building and preaching, building and preaching, building and preaching for 120 years. So what's God doing in all of this? Waiting, 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 waiting. That's his patience. He waits. The next passage is Psalm 78. Let's turn there together. Psalm 78. Verses 36 
through 42. A small portion of this psalm which traces out much of the history of Israel. Beginning in verse 36, it says, But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. So there in those first two verses, verses 36 and 37, we see how the nation of Israel had responded to God's prior gracious dealings with them. They flattered Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. The note says that this passage lays out the three great sins or or three great sins of the Israelites. First, their hearts were not steadfast toward God. This comes from the Hebrew word kun, which means to be firm or established. They were unstable in their love and loyalty to God. Second, they deceived or lied to God with their words. This is probably a reference to the broken vows they had made, their superficial repentance and their hypocrisy in worship. Third, they were not faithful to God's covenant. God's covenant with Israel was two-sided. God remained faithful to all His promises, but Israel was neglectful and disobedient to God's law. That's how they acted. You read the Old Testament, you know it's true. Now we skip to the latter portion of this section in verses 40 and 42. How often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power or the day when He redeemed them from the foe. Here he says five more sins are added to Israel's account. First, they rebelled against God. The word is translated from the Hebrew word marah, which also means to be contentious. Second, they grieved God. This word is translated from the Hebrew word atzab, which means to pain or to hurt. Third, they tempted or tested God. The word is translated from the Hebrew word nasah. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 6.16 where it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What did they do? They tested Him. Fourth, they pained or provoked God. The word is translated from the Hebrew word tawah, which also means to wound. And finally, they forgot God, followed after idols, and did what was right in their own eyes. These sins, along with those mentioned in verses 36 and 37, summarize Israel's apostasy against God. Again, you read the Old Testament. You know that this is true. This is how they were. But what do we see there in the middle of this section? How did God treat them? Verses 38 and 39. Yet He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all His wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. God's response to Israel's rebellion is here summarized. First, He was compassionate toward them, verse 38. Second, He forgave their iniquity, verse 38. Third, He restrained His anger, verse 38. Fourth, He pitied them, 
remembering that they were but fallen men. Verse 39. And we return again to that theme of God's patience being a, a restraining of His, his justice and a, a manifestation not only of God's love but of His power. In that phrase, He restrained His anger often. Or literally, many a time he ordered his anger to return. As if his anger was going out and he called it back to himself. Time and time again. Come back. I know they're just dust. I know they're weak. This is God's patience. Now what does that teach us? Well, it, it teaches us that God is willing to be patient. He's not forced into it. Nobody's twisting his arm saying, now you better wait a second. No, he desires this. If God were not willing, he would not wait. His patience would not exist if he were not willing because it's an execution of his power. No one draws God's power out of him except God himself. What else does this teach us? This teaches us, and hold on to your, your Calvinist knickers, God desires men to repent and to turn back. And he waits and he waits and he waits. A newer book that I've been reading about Christ is called Gentle and Lowly, but he talks about some of the nature of God. This is Dane Ortland. He says, The Old Testament speaks of God being provoked to anger by His people dozens of times. But not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation. His mercy is pent up, ready to gush forth. We tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded, and divine mercy is slow to build, but it's just the opposite, he says. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. When you read the Scriptures, that's what you see. Mercy, 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 pouring out. Patience, patience, pouring out. And then God has to be provoked to act. And we say... We would typically think, oh, that's weak. He must be lenient. That's what the Israelites thought. God kept silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. I, I didn't act. Oh, you, you must be like us, weak. You, you, you let stuff slide by. No, he's so powerful that he could wait and wait and wait because he desires to save sinners. And this should change the way that we think about God. In our fallen nature... Our, our, our corruption that remains in us that's, that's still connected to Adam. We always, we, we have this mindset, Adam's mindset. Run and hide. Did you just sin? You better get out of here because God's coming and He's going to kill you. You better run. You better hide. That's the way we think. That's our, our nature in Adam. But what did Adam find out? Adam ran and hid. God's going to kill us. We better get out of here. What did Adam find out? He found out God was patient. God waited. Octavius Winslow again. Think about this God. Quote, The moment man sinned, Christ saved man. When Adam fell, divine patience was instantly extended to the fallen sinner. When an arrest of judgment put in, Christ threw Himself in the breach, exclaiming, Let the sin be charged to my account. Let the penalty fall on me. Exact payment from me. Let these elect souls go their way. 
The instant man sinned, God's patience swoops in because of Christ and saves sinners. Adam thought wrong, and he found out the truth. He, he got to walk down the mountain out of the garden. We might need to think or change the way that we think about God. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18 with me. Ezekiel 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. God said that. that. That might be kind of hard to reconcile with our theology sometimes, but God said that. You've you got to figure it out. I read this week, heretics explain away all the mysteries. The heretics understand it all. Every time. They got it figured out. We have to come to these scriptures very often and we say, there's a mystery here. But that's what it says. 2 Peter 3.9. Let's turn there. 2 Peter 3.9, the, the New Testament counterpart. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Again, what do we see here? What's the motivation behind God's patience? Why would He be patient? Why is He restraining justice? Why not just pour it out? The answer is because He wants to save sinners. He wants to save sinners. How many more years will the earth endure before Christ returns? I have no idea. Why will it endure that long? Because God is saving sinners. That's the only reason. God is saving more sinners. God wants to save more sinners. Turn to Romans chapter 2 verse 4. The question here is how should we respond? What should the sinner do in light of God's kindness? Or his patience? Romans 2 4. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now the note there explains these three words. God is here said to be rich in three things. Number one, kindness. From the Greek word, krestates, which also denotes benevolence, goodness, and gentleness. God is kind. He's benevolent. He's good. He's gentle. Number two, tolerance. From the Greek word anoke, which denotes forbearance, endurance, and a willingness to delay. And three, patience. From the Greek word makrothumia, which denotes long-suffering and endurance. God is tolerant or, and patient, or He is forbearant and patient. God's long-held-out kindness should draw us to Him more and more. 
The Adamic nature says, run and hide. He's going to kill you. God's revelation in Christ says, no, run to me. I'm patient. I'm waiting. Just run to me. What should we do knowing that God is patient? Go to Him. And when you sin, go to Him. In conclusion, if God has been so patient with us, ought we not to be patient with one another? Shouldn't we be patient toward our spouses? Should we be patient towards our children? Should we not be patient towards our co-workers and our boss men and the people on the highway? George Swinnick says, If God should be as patient toward the most patient men as they are toward others, woe would be to them that, ever, that they were ever born. In other words, pick, pick the most patient ones and put all their patience together. If God should be that patient, we're all damned. The most patient of us. You're saved. If you're a Christian, you're saved because God waited. He waited. You are here because God restrained His justice in your case. Now, some of you are not Christians. And the reason that you're not in hell right now is because God is so powerful that He waits. He waits and He waits. God's patience waits. But don't test Him. Because of what Christ has done, God holds out a little longer. Christ is the, is the hinge in all of this. If there were no Christ, there could be no patience. But someday He will stop holding back. I'll close with one more quote from Octavius Winslow. God bears our wicked world with much patience. The shadow of the cross preserves it. But when the purposes of mercy according to the election of grace are accomplished and the mystery of God is finished, divine patience will give place to divine wrath and He will thoroughly purge His floor gather his wheat into his garner, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Patience is one of those attributes in God that will someday run its course. Don't test it. Run to him. He's patient. Let's pray.